This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Hi, I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to The Church Lobby, conversations on faith and ministry. We have a different episode for you today. It's the first of actually two different episodes that we'll be doing in back-to-back weeks instead of our usual bi-weekly schedule. And here's what's different about them. Last month in January 2024, our home church honored Shelley and me as we came to the end of our 31 years on the pastoral staff of our church. The first 25 years I was the lead pastor, the most recent six years I was a teaching pastor. So on this episode and the next episode of The Church Lobby, we're going to be giving you audio that's taken from the Sunday service in which they honored us for the time that we've spent with them. This episode features an onstage interview. Our current lead pastor, Gary Garcia, asked me about our time at Cornerstone. It's not just reminiscence, it's actually a helpful look at the value of longevity for the pastor and the church. And even though the transition from me to Gary as lead pastor isn't the focus of the conversation, you'll also get an insight as to how that transition happened and how it's going, and some helpful pointers for other churches who may be looking at transitioning from one pastor to another, especially from one long-term pastorate to another, which can often be a big challenge. Also, we're less than two months away from the release of my new book, Desizing the Church, How Church Growth Became a Science, Then an Obsession, and What's Next. Coming in April, we're going to do a series of podcasts about the new book, including an introductory episode by me and a few episodes in which I interview some of the authors that I quote in the book, including Scott McKnight, Bob Smetana, and more. Now, don't forget to stick around at the end of the end of this interview, because I'm going to come back with some additional thoughts about our time at Cornerstone and where the Lord is leading us next. But before Pastor Carl um, speaks this morning and, and shares his message, um, I just wanted to sit down um, and give some of you guys, because a lot of new people here um, don't know the, the backstory, don't know all that we've been through in his time uh, here. Uh, I actually have been here, I think, just about one year longer than Pastor Carl um, on staff. I, I came on staff as the youth pastor uh, right in the middle of a church split. And so when they asked me on staff, I had no idea what I was doing and what was happening. A year later, the lead pastor quit. And the only two staff members were Gene Cook was our church secretary, and I was the youth pastor. And that was it. And I'd come in in the office during the day and just kind of look at her and like, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, so and and, and so. Pastor Vaders um, came along, and I remember his brother-in-law, Norb, who was a youth pastor at the time as well, had called me and said, hey, um, are you guys still looking? My brother-in-law might be interested in, in sending in his resume, and I said, yeah, you know, go for it. And, and so um, that's kind of how it began. I don't know what drew you to this church, because on the outside looking in, this was a, sheet, uh, a sinking ship, and I would not have jumped on board if I were you. Um, so... 
With that, my first question is simply this. Tell us a little bit uh, through your eyes what the church looked like 31 years ago. Yeah. The first thing I heard about this church was, don't go there. It's a pastor killer. It's true. I was the fifth pastor in 10 years. So they just came one, one after another after another. And then I talked to somebody at our denominational headquarters, and they said, actually, it's not that. You need, there's two people you need to talk to. You need to sit down. You need to talk with Ron Cook and Al Garcia. And I did. And I thought, if these two guys are any representation of this church, this church is not a pastor killer. They've gone through some difficult things. They had almost taken a vote to close the church. And when I showed up, it was in difficult straits. Just physically, so I can stop the choking back for a moment. Physically, uh, you couldn't see the church when you drove by. I, I counted. There were 27 trees. This building was in the middle of a miniature forest <laughs> that hid the building from anybody who drove by. Am I right? Those of you who went around at that time remember that, right? It, it was buried in here. You couldn't see it. I cut down every one of those 27 trees over the next 10 years. This stage, for instance, was smaller than it was, but right there was a choir loft. Yeah, I don't know how either. Um, <laughs> over here was a baby grand piano and an organ. There were two big chairs on the, on the stage that were basically mini thrones that Gary and I sat on during the entire service because that's just the way they did it back then. There were a bunch of plants on stage. There were felt banners on the walls. There were kneeling benches. There was a big communion table, and there was the biggest, ugliest pulpit I've ever had to stand behind in my life. I felt, when I was on stage, I felt like it was in a hoarder's house. It was just everything everywhere. So we had the first Sunday, and then the first Tuesday I was on staff, I went into Gary, and I said, come on, you help me with some stuff. And he and I hauled the organ off stage and put it in the back, took the communion the table, the, the, the benches, and the pulpit, and I just put up a music stand, and I just tried to begin to simplify things. Oh, and I forgot about the flags. Oh, there was a big issue when I took the flags down. <clears throat> I, I, it took me a few years before I had the nerve to do that one, and wow, I paid for that. Um, and, and what I learned over the years, and now what I teach other pastors when I travel, is clutter is one of the signs of an unhealthy church. So you look on stage now, you look around anywhere now, everything has a purpose. Everything is out now because it's used today. And the second it's not being used, it's moved so that we can have simplification. And that is one of the things the Lord helped us to do. But I showed up to this very hurting church, a very cluttered church, with... Some Sundays, 20, 25 people. There were some services we started where there were more people on stage than in the crowd when the service began. Uh, but the Lord has blessed us, and it's, it's better today. Yeah. yeah, it's been good. It's funny how attached to churches people get. You, I remember when we just redid the chairs out in the lobby. You would have oh, think we killed goodness. someone's dog. Um, uh, oh, so. yeah. One of the things I have to ask is, uh, what are some of the things that you did? We, we did a, a lot. We made a lot of changes, especially those first 10 years. What are some of the things that you came in and you saw and, and, and we began to change and develop as we got going? Yeah, it, it's, it's been so many years passing, and I've been th- trying to think about it over the last little bit. And, uh, you know, going to Vanguard and trying to get some younger folks in here, trying to get things moving along with uh, worship music and so on. But the main thing that I remember about that whole idea of what we tried was, we tried so many different things, and easily three out of four of them didn't work. But the folks who were here at the time, the Mitchells were in the first service, 
the Garcias, uh, the Cooks, and at that time May and Baker, uh, and still that now. And uh, just uh, and Gary, and is there anybody else here who's here when we got here? It's been a lot of years, and we've said goodbye to a lot of folks over the last year. Oh, Steve McCurry, yeah, Steve. And yeah, Steve and Amy were here, and Steve's here this morning. Uh, yeah, there were just a handful of folks. But we would try stuff, and three out of four wouldn't work. And these people would forget about the three that didn't work and congratulate us on the one that did. And then we'd do four more things and three more would fail and they'd forget about the three that didn't work and they'd congratulate us on the one that did. And you can build a long legacy when you have people like that behind you. Yeah. What are some of the, the hardest moments that you've had to walk through in, in the, the 31 years? I had this youth guy I had to work with. <laughs> the, the place was, was so unhealthy and had been so unhealthy for so long. Again, I was the fifth pastor in 10 years. That's a decade. And it takes a long time to come out of a decade of difficulty. And so everything was slow. That was the, the, the challenge for me was I always want to move forward. And I'm, I'm a fairly patient person. I'm not one of these who's got to get it done now, but it has, there has to be some forward motion. And there were times when it felt like there was no forward motion happening at all, or we'd get something going. Worship was one of the biggest frustrations. We'd, take, we'd get somebody in who was great for a while, and then they'd leave, and then great for a while, and then they'd leave. And it was finally Travis and then Amy who stepped in after Travis with Niall to continue the process of it so that today it's hard for you to imagine that, that this church had a hard time and didn't have good worship leaders because we've had it so consistently now for the last 15 years. Uh, but the, the, the amount of time that it takes to go from long period of ill health to a place of health was probably my, my biggest challenge and frustration in those years. But that's why now the fact that we are where we are is such a blessing because we fought such a hard fight to get there. That's good. Well, you, I think you're on uh, book, book four, book five now? Uh, book five is coming in uh, April, and I'm sitting down now to write book six, which should probably come out in 2025. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, back in the beginning, you wrote the, the first book, The Grasshopper Myth. Explain what kind of led to that and what's kind of become of that. So, yeah, we went through the struggles. We think things were going, you know, difficult for a while. And then they started going really, like, we had a boom. Uh, we were at a point, in fact, I found my old sermon notes going through some stuff the other day, and in them I had some of the attendance figures in there. And one year we were actually, uh, I think it was 20, uh, 2007 or so, I can't remember exactly, but we were averaging at one point just about 400 on a Sunday. We weren't in this building anymore, we were actually meeting at Masuda Middle School because we just couldn't fit everybody in the building, and then it collapsed. And that, so that was one of the biggest challenges. What was the question? I forgot. What made you write the book? Oh, the book, yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, apparently, I'm a better writer than a speaker. Um, and going through that process and then having it collapse beneath us and being very small again, almost as small as when we started after having that big burst, I, was, I got really discouraged and wondering, am I, what am I doing wrong? Am I failing here? The church just won't get big like all of the church growth stuff promises that it would. And I went through a real crisis of confidence in myself and in my ministry, not a crisis of faith in, in Jesus, but in, in my abilities in ministry. And through that, the Lord brought people along, almost all of whom are in this room today, who helped me understand that I was already doing good ministry by simply being faithful to God's word and by simply loving God's people. 
I had to write that down, and I put it into a book that I didn't think anybody would be interested in, and it turns out they were, because a whole lot of pastors find themselves in the place I was in at that point. Yeah, and we've seen that through the years um, from that first book. We've seen uh, emails. We've had pastors stop by just randomly who were very discouraged in ministry at being a small church pastor and then coming to the realization after reading the book that they're right where God wants them to be doing what God wants them to do. And so it's been so good to watch that and hear those stories. Um, just one last thing before we, we, we turn it over to you to speak your message this morning. Um, what are some of the couple highlights from, from the last 31 years? Niall mentioned earlier watching one generation uh, grow up and then have kids of their own and still be here. Niall was 18 months old when he and Amy showed up just a year or two after we were here. And now he is the teaching pastor here. That is an extraordinary blessing to have. Uh, the transition to be able to have. Do you realize, again, Niall talked about it earlier, but there's no way for you to understand how rare a healthy pastoral transition is. It's, it's really extraordinary. And uh, the friends and the, and, the, and the people that are here, the fact that we now get to step away from being the lead pastor and now stepping away from staff entirely, and we still get to have this as our home church and you as our friends, and this is the place where we come to be refreshed and renewed and have fellowship and worship and to be blessed in Jesus' name so that the work that we're putting out now around the country and around the world, we get refilled when we come here, and that is a blessing beyond our ability to express our gratefulness for it. So good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there's so much I could talk about, but I'm going to get right to the meat of it right now. There are a handful of takeaways that I have realized as I've pondered uh, 31 years at the same church. And these are things in addition to what Gary and I talked about, because that interview was primarily directed at our congregation members. And here's what I would say to fellow pastors about the situation. Let me give you five points. Point number one, if you can find a church with people with whom you can minister for decades, do it. There is no replacement for that. I encourage you to do it. It has to be the right place. I went to two churches before here, neither one of whom God called us to minister to for a long period of time, but he did bless us by bringing us to one. So if you can do so, do it. Second, on the flip side of that, if God does call you to move more often, there's no shame in that whatsoever. Longevity is not the only way to do pastoral ministry, but if you can do it, do it. If that's not where God leads you, then you do where God leads you, and there's no shame in moving a little more than that. Point number three, we need to do a better job at helping pastors and churches when a longtime pastor leaves the church. Do you realize that one of the most hazardous times for a church, first of all, is pastoral transition, and one of the most dangerous pastoral transitions is not just after a thing has gone wrong, but it's actually after a real long-term successful pastor goes, the next person in almost always falls flat. Shelly and I for years have called them the sacrificial lamb. So for us, as we were past two decades and we started looking ahead and realizing we are now potentially making it really difficult for the next person who comes in here whenever it is that God calls us to leave. And it's not because we're doing a bad job, but because we're doing well and we're sticking around and we love the people and they love us. 
Pastoral transitions are typically dangerous, first of all, because it's almost never done until something went wrong, or if it's done before something went wrong, it usually causes something to go wrong. So we really need to think and pray and work and come up with ways to do pastoral transition better, especially after long-term pastorates. I believe that one of the best ways to have a long-term healthy church is to have a string of long-term healthy pastorates with good transitions between them. The fourth point that I take from this is this. Pastor, we need to live with integrity among the people of the congregation. Just before Gary and I did this interview, one of our teaching pastors, a young man who is still very new at teaching but is doing an exceptional job with it, he gave a lovely tribute to us and to our time at the church. He actually grew up in our church, so it's about the only church he's known except for the churches that he went to for a while when he went away to college and in the early years of his marriage. But as he talked about our three decades in the church, one of the main things that he mentioned to our congregation was how grateful he was to have grown up in a church and to have come back to a church and to now be on staff at a church that had not had a pastoral scandal in over three decades. He mentioned it as one of the most appealing aspects of our church, especially for younger generations. Integrity will take you where technique will not. And then the final takeaway for me is this. Start with the end in mind. Wherever you are in your pastorate, if it's at the beginning, the middle, the end, or you don't know, you know, what point you're at because you don't know when you'll be leaving, it doesn't really matter. We should always have the end in mind. Transition will come. And here's the difference maker. One, integrity, which we talked about already, and two, discipleship. In our congregation, we've been blessed to disciple the pastor who replaced me, to disciple the young people who are now stepping up in various departments, including teaching pastors. These are our folks that we discipled, many of them over decades of time. So start with the end in mind. Transition will come, and discipleship will help you do it well. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.